Today we're continuing our series of uh, studies and thoughts about the building blocks to a Christ-like life. And we're doing this in partnership with our small groups. As you heard earlier, uh, our small groups are tracking along with what's going on on Sundays. There's an insert to your program that has a discussion guide that will be used in your group this week. And uh, these... uh, conversations and discussions in the group really kind of stand alone. So if you have missed the other discussions and you haven't quite connected with a group yet, uh, it's not too late. This is a great time to step right in there. I think this week's discussion will be very profitable for you. And so let me encourage you to check out a group, take the discussion guide with you, join the conversation, and see what God might say and do in your life. If you need help uh, connecting with a group, you can talk to me about that, or you can see Dana right down here on the second row, and we'll be glad to let you know what's going on at uh, the different groups. Uh, this, this is also the experience where you're making use of that Christian Life Profile book, and we do want to encourage you to get a uh, hold of one of those. I think it'll be a very, very helpful tool to you. Uh, If you haven't heard about it yet, you will hear more about it in the group this week, and uh, I think it's going to be a great asset to you. So we're looking forward to seeing what happens with all of that. So uh, I've told some of you before, I am a fan of the Jason Bourne stories and the movies. Uh, Robert Ludlow has written about this character, and these uh, Uh, Films have developed out of uh, his books and uh, the storyline, the short of which is this. Jason Bourne uh, suffered amnesia and forgot who he was. That's the story that's told in the first film, The Bourne Identity. And so here's this guy who can't quite make out who he is. We just all of a sudden pick him up in the story, uh, wandering around trying to find out who he is. And, And on one occasion, he steps into a restaurant and he's there with a woman that he has encountered. And uh, he asks of her, what kind of person sits down at a table in a restaurant and can uh, remember every car he just saw in the parking lot with every license plate number? And I can close my eyes right now and tell you every person in this room and what they're wearing. What kind of person does that? And, of course, the answer to that question is a real clue to his identity. The kind of person that does that is a Secret Service agent, a a government agent kind of guy. And that's who he is. And so uh, along the way, Jason Bourne encounters some bad guys. And when they attack him, all of a sudden, he is deflecting their blows and knocking them out. And he's looking at himself like, I didn't know I could do that. And a little bit later, he overhears someone speaking in another language, and he not only understands what they're saying, but he responds to them in that language. And suddenly it occurs to him, oh, I know another language. And so all of these clues began to come together. And finally, uh, some things transpire where he is able to overcome his amnesia and remember who he is and uh, most of what his life is about. What a powerful picture of what happens with you and with me in our connection with Jesus Christ. Because the scriptures say that as Christ followers, we have a born identity. 
that we have not only been born into this world to our mom and dad, but if we've become a Christ follower, we have been born again. And God himself is our heavenly father. And we begin to relate to one another as brothers and sisters. And in that context, we have an entirely new and different life. The only thing is that sometimes we suffer spiritual amnesia. Things happen. Life traumas. Circumstances. Knock us upside the head and it's like, who am I? What am I doing here? What's life about? Do you know who you are? I mean, do you really know who you are? Would your answer to that question be the same answer that God would give about who you are? And if you have known that, are you living that now or have you suffered some amnesia? Do you forget in the press of the daily circumstances who you are? I'm suggesting to you today that Christ is central to your life. Central to our building the kind of life that God dreamed and destined us to have. John 3, verse 3, tells us from Jesus' own words, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus went on to say, the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. This is not a matter of I want to be a better person. I want to have greater morality in my life. I want to be a good guy. uh, I want to be spiritual. It's not a, a matter of any of those things. It's a matter of having a birth that gives you a brand new, different, God-like life. Christ-like life. The Apostle Peter said it this way in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 1. Identifying himself, he said, I'm Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I'm writing to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout. Well, there's an interesting word. I'm writing to those of you, the Christ followers like me, who are aliens Scattered throughout. Our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. Now, what an interesting word. Alien. What kind of pictures does that bring up to your mind when you think about an alien? An alien is someone who lives in one place that's not really his home. He's, he's really got his home somewhere else, but right now he's living in a temporary place. And as he's in that temporary place, he brings all the stuff that's a part of his real home with him. Worldview, perspective, attitudes, even language, uh, cultural customs. And what Peter is saying is that when you have been born again, when you become a son or a daughter of God, this world is no longer your home. Your home is heaven. Your home is in the presence of God. You speak the language of heaven. You see the things of this world through the lens of heaven. You're otherworldly. And you are not at home in this world. You're an alien. 
And so he says, I'm writing to you aliens. This is how we will get along in the world in which we don't belong. He'll go on to say, don't get too comfortable here because it ain't home. Now, here's a clue about whether this world has become too homey to you. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31 and following, he said, don't worry about these things. What things? Saying, what am I going to eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? You know, where are we going to live? All that kind of stuff. He said, these things dominate the thinking of the non-believer. This is the stuff that dominates the thinking of someone that this is their home. But you're not from this world. You're not of this world. Don't think that way. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. We were just talking about that with the kids. He knows everything you're thinking, everything you're feeling. He knows everything you need. And he's a good father. And he's inclined to bless you and give you what you need. So don't get too worked up about that. Don't get too anxious about that kind of this world stuff. Keep your heart and your gaze fixed upon heaven. Think like a heavenly citizen, not an American citizen or whatever other nationality is a part of your heritage. So here's the big question. How do I go about living like an alien? You go, well, you know, I never particularly asked that question, never particularly wanted to live that way. Well, that's the way God invites us to live in this world. And I'm going to encourage you to look with me in First Peter chapter 4, where he gives us some great instruction about how to live as a heavenly citizen in this world, how to live like an alien in this world. And beginning in verse 7, Peter says, the end of all things is near. Now, that's not a throwaway line. It behooves us to remember how temporal, how much of a vapor or a mist this world is. We get all hooked up into, you know, what's going to happen next year and five years and ten years and in retirement and all that kind of thing. Which I'm not saying we shouldn't give some thought and planning to those things, but we don't get all worked up about it. We don't get crazy about it because the end of all things is near. Therefore... Be clear-minded. Some of the other versions say, be sober and self-controlled so that you can pray. See, if you're all crazy, you're having a hard time praying. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, you had to add that little piece. Okay. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. Let me stop there. How do you go about living like an alien in this world. The first thing he says is practice sobriety. 
Now, here's what Peter is getting at. And you might want to keep your text open so that you can look at this. He says, when you pay too much attention to this world, you can get intoxicated with this world. Now, you know what it means to get intoxicated. Uh, if that happens to us with, let's say, uh, an alcoholic drink or with uh, a drug, we begin to lose our capacity to think normally, to behave normally, to function normally. In fact, intoxication is such a serious deal, our government forbids you to drive when you're intoxicated because it's so dangerous. Now, I'll forbid you to do anything else. You can do a lot of other crazy stuff when you're intoxicated, but don't get behind the wheel of a car, the government says. Well, if I'm too wiped out with intoxication to drive a car, then I'm probably too wiped out to make a lot of other decisions and carry on in a lot of other ways. But that has to do more with intoxicating agents like drink or drug. Here he's talking about don't get intoxicated with culture. Don't get intoxicated with this world, with the things of this world, with stuff, with success, with some kind of fame, if you will, or notoriety or being noticed. Instead, be sober, spiritually sober. In other words, I give myself to the thinking of God and the things of God and the kingdom of God, the purposes of God, the ways of God. I give so much of my heart and my thinking and my feeling and my my activity to that, that I stay sober from the things of this world. And I'm able to pray. I'm able to commune with God. I'm able to connect with Him. I'm able to sense His presence and to make uh, sense of His speaking to me and His directing me and His prompting me. Prayers, communications that come out of my sobriety. Right hand in hand with that, he says, so therefore not only practice sobriety in your communing and your connecting with God, but hand in hand with that, abstain from the intoxicating things of this world. Just stay away from it. Let go of it. Now, this is one of those more dangerous pieces because it lends itself to legalism so much. So someone may recognize... It's kind of a precarious thing for me to go clubbing, right? It may be a precarious thing for me to go to a club uh, where there's going to be a lot of drinking of alcohol and a lot of sensual activity and sensual dancing and whatever like that. So I think I will abstain from those kinds of places and that kind of activity so that I can also practice my sobriety in Christ. See, that can be just one practical way that, that lives itself out, but... It's so easily just to flip a little switch there, and I'm not doing some kind of internally motivated, I want to keep my heart so connected with Christ kind of thing, to a legalistic, externally motivated, socially kind of motivated, I'm not going to do any of that carnal stuff, and you better not either, because people that do that don't love God, and they're going to hell, and blah, 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 blah. 
You see how subtly that can move into a detrimental kind of thing rather than this positive, life-giving kind of thing. Now, when someone has a problem with perpetual intoxication with drink or with drug, sometimes they have to go through processes that help them get sober. About 15 years ago, a good friend of mine in Memphis had been succumbing to intoxication with drink for a long time, for years. And it was negatively impacting his family and his friends and his work. And finally, on one occasion, his wife and his children and a few select others had what we sometimes refer to as an intervention. They confronted him about the detrimental effect that uh, intoxication was having upon him and upon all of them in their relationship to him. And because it happened in a loving kind of way, in a very clear kind of way, he responded to that intervention. And he began entering into a process of sobriety, of severing his um, connection with drink. And, you know, and now he's got 15 years plus of sobriety. Well, we do the same kind of thing with our intoxication with this culture and with this world. That's why small groups are such a big deal at Meadowbrook. Because it's in those small groups that we're all staying spiritually sober together. That we're all staying uh, or, or, or abstaining from intoxicating effects of our culture together. And so when I get together with my small group and we're talking about how has life transpired over the, the last seven days since we last met, we're talking about how's our heart connect with God. How's our level of enjoyment of life and our pursuing the purposes of God in our life? How well are we overcoming the negative and detrimental effects of our culture and our world? And, and that kind of mutual checking in with each other allows a couple of things to happen. One, when I'm doing well, I get affirmed. People bless me, go way to go, keep doing it, I'm praying for you. And when I'm not doing well... I get encouragement and challenge. Come on, man. You can do better than that. We're going to pray for you to do better than that. What is it you want to see change this week? And I'll say, well, this is what I want to see change this week. And I go, okay, I'm going to pray for you about that, and we'll check in on that next week. And so this whole practice of sobriety involves me having a, a communication and a communing capacity with God and abstaining from things in this world. And a supporting of all that in small group relationships. The second thing that Peter says, this is how you live like an alien in this world. Is he says you not only practice sobriety, but you practice love. Now, if you've ever been around someone trying to get sober from drink or drug, you know they can get cranky. They can get moody. They can be a little irritable and difficult to be around from time to time. And when that happens, we sometimes say, extra grace is required to be around him right now. Extra grace required. We sometimes talk about those EGR type scenarios. And we all get there. We all have those times where we're irritable, we're cranky, we're moody because of our practicing our spiritual sobriety and abstaining from the intoxications of this world. And love helps us to continue the process together. 
As Peter says it, love covers a multitude of sins. And so when I come into my group and I'm cranky, I'm moody, I'm irritable, I'm a little prickly to be around, they cut me grace. They cut me some slack. They love me well. They give me some space. Or if I'm looking for more uh, close proximity, they come around and get more close with me. Whatever I'm needing at that particular time. And they extend extra grace my way. And sometimes that looks like patience and long-suffering. And sometimes that looks like calling me on my stuff and saying, okay, that's, that's long enough. Let's get on with it. The practice of love looks like extending grace and it looks like fervency that's the old word that uh, is translated from peter's letter referring to a deep kind of love a committed a persevering i'm with you no matter what kind of love Peter said, if you're going to live like an alien in this world, you've got to practice sobriety, you've got to practice love, and you've got to practice hospitality. You go, I don't get what's that all about. Um, I'm not into, uh, you know, decorating my house and putting on brownies and having people over for tea and coffee and all that. Well, it's not particularly talking about that, although that can be an expression of it. But in the ancient day, to practice hospitality meant that you would open your home to people coming in and doing some life with you. That, that is a legitimate picture to it. But, but more than that, what would happen in the home is the key thing. My life would be open to you. And you would be invited into my life to get to know me, to do some life with me. And hospitality today can happen in my home or it can happen when you and I meet at Starbucks or it can happen if we get together for lunch or whatever uh, situation or setting that we are in where our lives are being hospitable and open to one another. This is how you're going to live like an alien in this world. Have communing, connected lives with each other. And you go, well, that sounds like a nice ideal, Scott, but how do you get at that? And, you know, there's like trust involved in that. And sometimes people violate my trust. Well, yeah, so then you're talking about forgiveness and you're back to practicing love. And sometimes I get all whacked out and crazy because of this world. And so I'm back to practicing sobriety. So there's all this overlap in how we go about living like an alien in this world, doing it in thorough connection with each other. And then finally, Peter says, practice service. God has given you, Peter says, these special abilities and gifts, talents. Use what God has given you to bless each other, to serve each other, to help each other. And so there are some, some things that are unique to me that I can do with my friends. And there are some things that are unique to them that they can do that helps me and serves me. And we all get together and do that when we gather in, in times like Sunday mornings and other times around this place. Where we serve one another, serve one another, serve one another. That's how you live as aliens 
in this world. Now, let me close with this thought. You may have never heard of one of the companions of the Apostle Paul, a guy named Demas. There's not a whole lot said about him in the Scriptures. In fact, there's only three references to him in the entire New Testament. But those three references, as brief and cryptic as they are, really give us enough to know about the life of Demas. We're told in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, that Paul celebrates the life of Demas and the life of his beloved physician friend, Luke. So there Demas is mentioned in the same breath with Luke. You know Luke, the guy that wrote the gospel, the guy that wrote the book of Acts, the guy that did some of the uh, missionary journey time with Paul. Demas and Luke, my colleagues, my, my partners in the ministry. And then in Philemon 24, as Paul is closing up that letter and talking about the people that have been meaningful to his life, he mentions Demas and Mark, the guy that wrote the gospel. Okay, So we're talking heavyweight, disciple-type guys that Demas rubs shoulders with and, and walks with Paul and, and does missionary-type things and ministry-type things. Okay, Demas, my bud, with Luke, with Mark. But then when we get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and he's gone off to Thessalonica. So there you have it, as brief and cryptic as it is, three points on a graph that show the trajectory of a life away from Christ and into this world. Point being, friends, hanging around church, Attending a few worship gatherings, occasionally giving an offering or serving in some kind of way, or maybe you even do the small group thing. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't mean very much if you don't have the born identity. If you've not been born again, if Christ has not come to take residency within your life, if He is not the primary, significant, defining factor in your life, shaping your identity, then everything else is just kind of sideline stuff that may impact your morality a little bit, your ethics a little bit, but it does not transform you into the new life that Jesus gives. This is exactly what was going on at the time that the Apostle John writes his letters. And in his first letter, he says, you know, there was a bunch of people that were one time a part of this church and now they're gone. They've left us. And, and everybody, you know, in John's church is scratching their head going, why did that happen? What's going on? And John says, here's what happened. They left us. Because they were never truly of us. They'd never truly been born again. They'd never truly been given the life that Jesus was then calling them to build. And so I ask you, the questions that we began this talk with, who are you? Are 
Are you a son, a daughter of the living God? Have you been born again? And if you have, are you living your identity or do you have spiritual amnesia? Do you keep forgetting who you are? A child of the king, an heir of all the promises of God, an agent of his in this evil, destructive world with supernatural capabilities that he infuses you with to combat the evils and the destructive things of this world. Do you forget who you are? What are you going to do with what we've been talking about today? Well, if you don't know Jesus... If you've not been born again, then, friend, I I just plead with you. Give your heart to Christ and become a Christ follower. You say, I'm not even sure how that happens. Well, on that connection card that I mentioned to you earlier, there's a little space there that says, I want to know more about that. Just check that. I'll follow up with you about that. We can talk about that. See me after the service. We'll talk about it. But if you have been born again, If you do have an identity that is being shaped and defined by Christ, then let me encourage you, this week, seek Him. Look for God sightings everywhere. He's at your workplace. He's at your rec place. He's in your home. All the the little environments that you'll be in, He is there. Look for Him. See Him. Discern what He is up to. If you've been born again, He's given you the capacity to see spiritual things and hear spiritual things and discern spiritual things. Then engage that and see Him. And then as you are seeing Him, savor Him. You know what it means to savor? You you consume something that really is tasty to you. You just kind of let that linger and you enjoy it and it's wonderful to you. Savor Him. The fact that He would be active in the places where your life is lived out. The fact that He would allow you to see some of that. The fact that He would invite you to be a part of some of that. Savor, enjoy, delight, have fun with that. And speak of Him to others. You go, well, I wouldn't even know what to say about Him. You would if you had sought Him, seen Him, and savored Him. You would just have had rich things going on with you and Jesus to say to a friend. Now listen, you you speak of everything else. You have something meaningful going on at work, you speak of it. You have something meaningful going on with your kids, you speak of it. You have something meaningful going on with your sports team, you speak of it. And so just naturally and normally, when things are going on between you and Jesus, speak of it. And as you do, guess what happens? 
It enlightens your seeking and your seeing and your savoring. And then serve Him. Because as He allows you to see and experience and enjoy, it's often His invitation for you to join Him in what He's doing. Serve Him. He prompts you about what He's doing with a friend of yours. Join Him in that. Serve God and serve your friend in, God, in ways that God's prompting. Serve your family. Serve this church. Serve our community. And broaden your experience of Jesus who is present with us. Let's pray. So, Father, you've said so many things to us in these moments. But at the core of it all, we get it. Christ is central to everything. And we pray that you would bring a soberness to our lives that keeps Christ central. That you would bring a love that allows us to keep connected with those who also have Christ central. A hospitality, a service that continues to nurture and develop the life that you're building in us. And so, Father, our confession is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the help. Jesus is the one. And so, Father... Give us Jesus. Without respect to anything else in this world, we would have Jesus. Jesus.